0: Welcome back to another episode of Democracy Matters. I'm Kara Whaley, Associate Director of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement.
1: This is Abe Goldberg. I'm the Director of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement here at James Madison University.
0: And in this episode, we have internationally acclaimed American photographer, Wendy Ewald joining us. So just a little bit background on on Wendy. She was born in Detroit, Michigan in 1951, and has spent more than 40 years collaborating with children, families, and teachers all over the world. In her work, she encourages her collaborators to use cameras, as well as using the camera herself to record themselves, their families, and their communities, and to articulate their fantasies and dreams. Her many honors include a MacArthur Fellowship, grants from the National Endowment for the Arts, and a Guggenheim Fellowship. Welcome, Wendy.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Tell us about how you got involved in this work, um, especially in in your interest in working with children and women around the world, and what you've learned from that work.
2: Well, it goes back, actually, a very long time to when I was a uh, young girl, and I had a um, brother, younger brother, who was hit by a car and had to learn how to um, really speak and walk and really put himself back together and as a as a young girl, I was really interested in, and you know concerned with what could I do um, to to help him and I would devise games um, visual um, sort of games to hook up to him having to speak again. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was all just play, you know, how you would and, and, uh, but, you know, now I can look back and see that, that, that it, it was something that, um, that just naturally came to me. And, and then later when I was, um, in high school, um, after I graduated, I went to work in a, in a native, um, uh, Canadian, uh, reserve, um, with children, um, who were in a very tough uh, position with um, change of, of culture from, you know, one to another. And, and um, so I... That was my first project, and it was 1969, and I took cameras and film um, to um, what is now the community of Sheheshi, um, an Inu community, and um, the, the photographs that they took with these cameras and film that Polaroid gave me were astonishing. And I was learning to use a camera at the same time. I was using a big format camera. And uh, it was never something I thought I'd keep doing. Um, but from time to time, as I went through college, I also continued to work in, in the native reserves and, um, and eventually just realized, oh, this is what my, my life is going to be about.
1: It it seems to me as you're describing your work, really starting with your brother, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of remarkable to think about these childhood experiences that end up framing an entire uh, career Mm -hmm. and and perhaps even a movement. Um, Are you specifically drawn to children in challenging situations? And if so, why why is that?
2: Well, you know, I, I was the oldest of six kids. So, you know, they, there were a lot of children around. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they were my playmates, but also they were my, you know, they were my subjects in, in, in a way. Um, and, you know, and I, as I mentioned growing up, it, it was challenging. And I was really interested in the idea of being useful, Um, and, and then I began to, you know, see as I went to Labrador, for example, I, I could see the situation these kids were in. I mean, it wasn't something I looked for in the beginning. Um, actually the, I also grew up in Detroit during the riots. And, um, so that was, and I worked in Detroit the year after the riots with, with, um, kids who they were worried were going to, you know, be involved in something like that again. Um, so the world around me was quite challenging, you know, and it was, you know, as 1968, 69, you know, those those years where things were exploding. So I guess it was kind of natural for me to look for those those breakpoints between communities or Within communities, and the fact that they were children, I could relate to them, and they were very um, open about what w- what was happening. Um, so it was a way to get deeper into a situation and describe it um, from the inside more easily than with adults who had, you know, layers of of experience and trauma and were maybe um, farther farther removed from their their initial feelings of growing up in in that situation, you know my, what I mean, I think they're just more, much more open, and also children would make these amazing pictures um, because they didn't have ideas about how pictures should be made, and you know they they would make compositions that no one else would have thought to make. You know, it wasn't a formal composition. Um, It was something that they, that was, well, I mean, when I'm, this is sort of getting to when I teach, but, or when I work with them, but um, what, what happens, I think, often is, is people have ideas about what they should say or how they should say it. And they were influenced by, by the landscape, the way their homes were set up, their experiences. And they used those things, you know, to make, to create compositions that were often quite different than anything anyone had seen.
0: I wonder, just building from that, um, one of the projects that you worked on that I found particularly interesting was your work here in Virginia with mm-hmm. Richmond's Carver, um, uh, Richmond's Carver Elementary School. And... Maybe you might talk a little bit about that, but also, you know, the how that specific project um, challenges our conception of um, public space <laughs> and and how we can take these stories and move it um, into that public a- arena. So it's not just a composition for ourselves of our own experience to reflect, but also might.
2: Yeah, um, I think that was the first public um Installation. I did, and I I got to a certain point where I really wanted uh, to go beyond, you know, the gallery, the book, the um, and um, have images be encountered by by people who weren't necessarily looking for that encounter, but who were affected by by the community um, in which they were hung. Um, and you know that was a classic example of of um, the um, the break between the Carver community itself and historical African American community family community and and um, Virginia Commonwealth University, who um, was encroaching on on that community. You know, uh, little by little, and sometimes not so little by little, and. Um, so what was very interesting is is that i was invited to you know to be a part of that um encounter between the between you know the community and and vcu and um it it was um it was fascinating but but the thing that was really interesting about it is is that i was able to work with with the the carver community in a in a way that then I could, um, you know, reveal or we could reveal the life of the Carver community to VCU. I mean, that wasn't the only thing, but but it it, it gave um, the Carver community the opportunity to say, "This is what we want," which was which was something that dealt with their young people. They wanted to show their young people the future of their community, and um, and then. Um we looked for a way to install these pictures, well, just the idea of making i made portraits that were like um i think eight feet by ten feet um of i, I don't know maybe there are twenty twenty five of these portraits, but um they were about community they weren 't just portraits they they were um they were the the um you know the face of someone and then um a still life that they made of objects that they thought represented their community. Um, so one one person um, used dominoes, and that was something that you know that was very important in the community in a way that they came together. So there was a still life using dominoes, plus her face, and then the back of her head. Because I realized when I was making this installation that I wanted. The people to look out at who might be passing. I mean, the portraits to look out at who might be passing by, but also to have have those same people looking within the community. So, so you had them looking out and looking into their own community, um, and um, and I, I think it was a very, from what I've heard, um, you know, it's something that people still remember in both in both communities, um, but particularly in in VCU because, you know, they're just right next to that community and they're passing by each other all the time, but they don't know who each other is.
0: This is um, the story of universities and communities mm-hmm. across the country and yeah. it's something that we, we see in Harrisonburg as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I later did it at, in a very different way in, in, at, at Amherst College where, where I taught, which was considered a bunker and, <laughs> and you know, letting, letting, those, letting the people from you know, from outside the bunker, see who's inside the bunker is uh, important, too, as well as the, the, the is, community itself, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and is there a responsibility when we're inside a university to maybe challenge those encroachments on community, right, in the way that VCU or, mm-hmm. or many universities buy up property, right? This isn't, it's not just a story about VCU. This is a story no, of, of it's universities all, and colleges across yes. the country. yes. Um, You know, so what responsibility do we have for those of us that are inside higher education to question the decisions that are being made, to be more inclusive in our decision making about how what we are doing here affects the communities in which we're embedded?
2: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think there's a responsibility, you know, not just to the communities, but to the university itself, because we can't live life like that you know in those in those separate you know that that continues if if you don't learn now what's around you um and i guess this is something i i feel strongly about because i always i think that people think well what responsibility do we have to do to those people out there but also we have a responsibility to, to change you know the way that we look in a very limited way sometimes Um, so I I think there's a lot of responsibility, but I think it needs to be co-responsibility, you know, with the, with the community.
1: I'm struck by this, um, as you might imagine as well, having, you know, been a part of universities that have tried very thoughtfully and intentionally to work with communities. And, you know, what I often think about is, whether or not good intentions lead to outcomes that are less favorable for all parties involved. And so how do we kind of find a way for communities and universities to work together where there's truly a reciprocal relationship to where the community benefits because of that partnership with the university, because of that relationship mm-hmm. with the university. And I'm not even talking about filling potholes, but I'm talking about addressing you know, long-term structural you know, problems that have gone back decades, mm-hmm. while at yeah. the same time, you know, serving the academic mission of the university. I, th- I think there's a lot of good intentions, but it's sometimes very tricky to find that alignment. And so what advice do you have? I mean, it seems like you've been in this work and ha- ha- could have something to, to to offer, not just here at JMU, but to, but to other listeners.
2: Well, I, I think that, um, you know, starting, I mean, I've sort of, started from, from where I can see what's happening. Um, and in a small way, you know, it's not like you can, I think, structurally say, oh, we're going to do this and that's going to work or, or, but I mean, one thing I was very pleased about that, that VCU did is that they started a community, uh, a community center for the, with the community plus, you know, something that the students would be involved in. Um, and then, that's then. Then they invited me, um, and and then you know we did the project, and which people liked, etc. Um, and then they ended up starting a prize, and um, so you know then we got that prize. We got that first prize, and it was a, it was a good way I thought to start. It was something small, but um, and it would be interesting now to see how things. You know, rolled out in the in the end, or at this point, what's going on? But I, I think it's yeah, it's a complicated question about how how to do that on an institutional level. I mean, I'm much more uh, able to talk about it, think about it from a, an artistic or an individual or an activist level. Um, and the project I did at, at Amherst College was really based on. On looking in at the, and I did a series of projects looking in at the college, and seeing you know where where are things um, not not working right, so that it's not only you know looking out, it's looking in, and how to figure out how to do that at the, at, at a at an institutional level, I think is 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 the challenge. Ask yeah, me,
1: I, I think the work you're describing is really hard, though, right? I'm I mean, saying I think. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's,
1: we're, we're sitting in a room talking about doing this, but yeah. sort of, you know, not only working with community members, but really challenging our own sets of norms and yes. challenging, challenging, you know, what, what may have worked as a university 20, 30 years yes. ago that, that is, is creating some of the very issues that we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that, that takes, um, you know, from an institutional level, at least a significant amount of willingness to really do some self-reflection and asking hard questions yes. and perhaps even uncovering challenging and unfortunate realities. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes, I mean another project I did was to work with. It, this was also at Amherst, but um, to look at the archive and with the students. I mean, I did it as a, as a class. These are all all projects done as classes, um, you know, semester long classes or something like that. And um, they, the students, um, well, what one of the things is that we decided is that Amherst mission was was to start um, to work with indigenous young men and prepare them to go out in in the world um, as missionaries. So we did had the students fi- pick one missionary to to work with in the archive and to look like to look at what was that like you know at at that point. And uh, you know, put together something that we made little books out of it. And then eventually we made a real book out of it. Um and um what we did is I brought in a, a, a photographer who's great at photographing people and recording their stories. Um because I always think it's better not just for me to do all that all this, but to have other people come in with different points of view. And and then he looked or Spent time with people who were at risk now, so the idea was to look at what was what was being at risk in the times when the missionaries started, and then what was the university doing now, and um, and then we put those things together and also you know questioned you know community engagement basically basically, and it's a beautiful book, you know that was the beginning of seeing who you know, for them to see who, who or what the university was, What what is the mission of the university? Um, it's, um, you know, I mean, I think it go. you know, you, you have to keep interrogating it. We I was just having a conversation
0: with our colleagues over in community service learning, and, you know, one of the things that is challenging for them is that students come in with this idea of what engagement looks like mm-hmm. as they're talking about and mm-hmm. thinking that they're going to be, you know, on a mission trip. Yeah. Right, and and so it's there's a education process that, that has to take place in understanding and, and questioning what does engagement look like, right. and you know that it's not something we do to communities, right? But going back to what we talked about previously, it's working alongside with mm-hmm. um, those communities. But we, I think, have this, as you've said, to reinterrogate, right, to con- con- to continually reassess what is our mission, what is our vision and how are we implementing it? Because even mm-hmm. if our mission or vision stays the same, right. I think we need to be a lot more responsive to implementation and, um, I think one thing that's another big challenge is that people often are paired with the, or burden, you know, one community <laughs> partner, right? We're yeah, all going to just oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find the two or three people, right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of needs out there. And, yeah. and I think with lar- these large institutions, I think one of the big challenges, one, figuring out who is doing what, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just the first step. Yeah. Um, and not trying to stop anything, Right, or or be a bottleneck on mm-hmm. on a lot of the good work, but be thinking about that intentionality and not just swooping in, um, and also mm-hmm. then giving credit to the community members. Oh, and yeah. I think that's one thing about your work that I love is that. The community is cre- communities are credited with the work that they're doing, and your work sort of questions authorship, right, and and pow- positions of power. Um, and I think that's something that we need to more intentionally think about. Is you know, it's not just our own authorship, my research, um, and, you know, where I am being extractive of the community, right, right? but co-authoring and compensating communities mm-hmm. for the work that they're doing with
2: us. Mm-hmm. And I think what big question is. What 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 do they want to do? You know, starting from a position that, you know, you're 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 equal in this. Yes. You know, and um, <clears throat> you're interested in something, they're interested in something. How can you how can you work together? And I'm it's so creative to from my part to to listen and you know, I get so many ideas, you know, from from what they're interested in. I have some very good friends in Gaza. Mm.
0: Um, and a lot of the work that they're doing is actually in the arts. But one of they have a movement now to Skype with Gaza to mm. be able to tell their stories and to interact with people around the world because the stories that we read in the newspaper aren't necessarily right. the realities for everyone. In terms of what's happening on the ground, and, and they Skype with Israelis, for example, to mm-hmm. try to build those relationships, because right. this is a new generation yeah. Of, yeah. of leaders. Um, but I wonder if you would talk a little bit about your work in Jerusalem and, and in the West Bank, um, and the power of art in terms of conflict transformation.
2: Well, it's really interesting that you asked me that, because I'm just today writing, rewriting some of the things that I did then, because that the 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 work is going to be shown in in berlin and it's it it's not sort of and i need to update all the things that i wrote because things have changed you know so much and you talk about responsibility and i always think about where does my responsibility end with you know with the project and that was like in 2012 but you know things are you know quite quite different now and it's so um but um one of the things I really wanted to do with that project, um, and it included fourteen, you know, different communities that I worked with, um, was was to um, to really talk about or, or expose the complexity in a way that it was that it was human um, and engaging, um, because I think it's so complicated what what's going on. I mean it's not complicated that things are 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 terrible in, in in the West Bank and Gaza. That's um but how did it how did it get there and um and to also just expose that that um divide, that that inability for people to communicate with each other. Um, and um so in the beginning when I started, this is a very classic thing, because in the beginning when I started I, I, I just had a couple of projects I, I was gonna do. One one I wasn't even gonna work in the West Bank at that at that point. I I was gonna work um with um uh Orthodox girls in the army hmm. and um and also um uh Arab Israelis um in um in, in and around nazareth yeah. um, so that 's how i how i how I started you know to look at those two different things. What does it mean to be this conflicted person who 's an arab Israeli and what does it mean to be an orthodox girl who 's in the army which you 're not really supposed to be in the army and um, and but then people started coming to me and saying, um, "You know what about this project and this project and this project and so it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's how I, I I got to to the west to the West Bank and to Hebron, which is one of the most contentious places there mm. there is. Um, and those the people that I work with would love to come here and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they want to do. I mean that that's that's they they see that as, as, as the only way for them to to en- engage is through outside israel and and make make statements that then eventually will get back there but there's no way for them to talk to anybody in israel um and that's you know it's it's so sad and um and I should get you in touch with them actually they're very they're a very interesting group, which was it started as um, a group called the, the, the Youth Against Settlements because their lives were being affected so much. And actually, where I where I worked um, was in a um, house that had been taken over by settlers um, at one point, a Palestinian house, mm-hmm. and then they had taken it back. And so right above where we worked about from here to maybe a little farther than that wall was, was the, the army post there, watching this situation. And, you know, every day there were things happening. The settlers were coming, you know, there's some pictures that the kids have taken of the settlers coming over the hill at them. You can see in the pictures how they're looking at each other. Um, how the Israelis are looking at them and they're looking at the Israelis. Um, and they asked me to To work with them, um, they were very interested in having arts be part of of their um, of their mission. Um, but it was very hard for me in the beginning because they had this idea that that it should be all about the conflict, mm-hmm. that the what they pictures that they made and you know what they wrote and the conversations should be all about the con- conflict, and I wanted it to be about the conflict, but also to be to have them be able to have the chance to go beyond the conflict or or not beyond the conflict but, but deal with something else which is how it affected them personally, you know day after day and and also to 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 think about things that were healing for for them and exciting for them as 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 well as um you know always being responsible for the the conflict. So it took a little while. Um, and that's where asking them to photograph their dreams or fantasies, um, you know, was very helpful because it, it got them out of, um, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, the soldier and what the soldier was doing. And I mean, that that was reality. <laughs> um, and, um, and they did that and they did that beautifully. But um, on the other hand, you know, they needed to be kids as well. I thought, yeah. and and they eventually, the people I was working with thought that was were very interested in that as well.
1: When I hear about your work in Hebron, mm-hmm. as well as your work in Richmond, uh, perhaps a theme here is leveraging art to communicate yeah. conditions to those in power.
2: Yes. I think you're I think you're right about that. And and I think I get angry sometimes because I don't think people don't understand that. They think it's about, you know that they, they think it's about doing good for the kids, you right. know. And uh um and I do get very angry about it. So it's lovely to talk to you guys.
0: It's about justice, right? I right. mean that's that's another aspect yeah. of this, right?
2: Well it, when I was in Richmond, um there was a um, an opening um, for the uh, you know for the um, installation, and there was a, a there was also a, um, a, an exhibition in a in a gallery as well, and um, so there, um, there, they hired a, a bus to take the 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 people who came to the opening around the installation, and which was in Carver, and it was a huge bus. That really couldn't even sort of make some of the turns within the Carver neighborhood. I've, I've seen that neighborhood; it would be very difficult. <laughs> and 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 so then they asked me to get up in the front with a with a microphone and and like like you know when you go on a zoo trip or something like that. They're saying here, here's the zebras over here. And uh, um, anyway, it it just I boggled my mind. And of course, then we went back to the you know, to have the wine and everything at the gallery, and people kept coming up to me and saying, oh, you did such a great job for these kids. And I kept saying, well, I'm hoping that it will affect you guys, too, and that you will be learning something. (laughs) Um, So, yes, you're absolutely right.
0: I wonder... If you could talk a little bit about the work you've done for elementary school kids, it seems that to me that we've had both a decline in arts education mm-hmm. in elementary schools and a decline in civics education, and you have That's some cool. pedagogy around art literacy and justice, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, and also the, the role of teachers specifically to foster student discussions around justice.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, I really started um, working in elementary schools, um, you know, when I was living in rural Kentucky. And, um, and at that point, I, I really wanted to go and work with the kids and have them take pictures. And, um, but I knew that, you know, that I had to get in there, you know, so that I, so I would be doing something that would be helpful for the, for the school as well as, you know me you know having a good time with these kids, um which I certainly did um and so I developed a a, a kind of curriculum for using writing um as 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 a way to um, visualize images and as and also um as as a way using images as a way to um to write um Write things that they'd seen in the photographs, which which actually worked, ended up working pretty well, and so that was ended up being called literacy through photography, and um, um, so that was something that was just, and it was also at a time when there was no art or music or anything in in rural Kentucky, um, and uh, so the 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 arts commission. Um, funded that in, in in the end for for a number of years, um, and then that went on to become a um, a project that was that many other people did and published um, to books um, about that that pedagogy, um, and I reached a certain point um, where, especially when I was working Durham, North Carolina, which where I realized that the teachers really needed to be part of that process, that it wasn't, um, it really didn't work if students came in and, and which the students were coming in and they're doing brilliant job with, with, with the kids. But what needed to happen is that the teachers needed to run that program and with the help of, of students from Duke, um, which, um, then was a course, which was, which was great. Um, and during that time, there was also a, a lot of difficulties in the school system. There was a white school system and an African-American system, school system, basically, you know, a city-county situation, which was happening in those days. And um, so it became, you know, race became an issue um, and, uh, because the, they wanted to merge those systems uh, there was an Af- the African American system with the with the basically white system, um, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. And they, you know, there were years of conversations about it. And finally, they were going to do it, and it was very difficult. Then people were very nervous about what was going to happen. Um, that was an institutional um, became a, a project that, that really affected that that school system in in Durham, North Carolina and there were, there were seventeen different schools who were who were working who had literacy um, that had literacy through photography programs um, and um, you know I think it was uh, it was important because it was an artistic Project that also dealt with social issues in that community, and I guess I kind of used it as a lab in a way because I, 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 I was working with all these teachers and we tried different things like a project called Black Self White Self which was about race and that was that was during during the merger of of the schools um and um and then another one uh on religion uh, another one about body by the best part of me which was you know kids choosing which part of their bodies they they felt most represented them and so that opened up a you know whole another concept and all these then became part of a book called uh, <laughs> called literacy and justice through photography um so it was looking at self portrait it was looking at at um at um, Black Self, White Self. Uh, It was also um, looking at the archive, um, which we, I did a project with them on the the Holocaust, and um, we used an archive um, of the Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. So, you know, using archive to tease out you know, what, what happened in, 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 certain, in certain instances, and then them um, imagining their, their, their children in those, those situations. Um, so it was very fruitful for me to have this school system to, to work with that was interested in these, in these issues, or at least let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and so many other teachers then began using these projects. Um, in in Durham. And then we also had workshops for people to come uh, to work with us. And they came from all over the place for a number of years from all over the world. And it was a really, you know, rich situation.
1: Quite different than the art classes I had (laughs) when I was younger.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think the whole idea that that art could be about lived experience was not yeah part of those classes I remember them too <laughs> not my classes <laughs> yeah. what would you do to strengthen democracy? Well I guess I uh, maybe this isn't a good answer I guess it's something that I think about all the time so um, it's not a, a separate issue for me um, then any encounter or any work I would do. I mean, I think I'm always learning um, how to be or trying to learn how to be more democratic um, in anything I do. And I think I learn from other people um, who are doing, who I do work with too. And I think the whole collaborative process is, is about how to make democracy stronger.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Wendy Ewald. It's been just such a pleasure and an honor to get the chance to to talk with you. And thank you so much for all the
2: work that you are doing in our world. Well, thank you so much for, for this conversation. I don't always get to have such a meaningful, deep conversation about this. So I appreciate it. Hi, podcast
0: listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious